It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Greetings and welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That is 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. And as we've told you before, you can also listen anywhere across the country. If you download the Radio Player Canada app and type in 106.5 ELMNTFM or 95.7 ELMNTFM, just follow the directions and you could be listening on your device of choice Anywhere across the country, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'd like to welcome my first guest to the show. And he's calling in uh, from, uh, well, perhaps the north or perhaps Ottawa. It is a pleasure to have a Liberal MP and the uh, Minister of Northern Affairs, Dan Vandell, with us on the line. And welcome to the show, sir. Good morning. Uh, good morning. It's a pleasure to be here. So um, where are you calling from, by the way? I'm actually calling from uh, Winnipeg. This ah. Uh, it's constituency week, and I'm here until Wednesday, and Wednesday I go to RBF Nunavut for a couple of days and back to Winnipeg for hmm. for a few more days. Now, uh, you, you're very, of uh, course, uh, as an MP of uh, St. Boniface and St. Vital in, in, uh, in Winnipeg, uh, but uh, and prior to to uh, becoming uh, uh, the minister of Northern Affairs, um, you uh, served with the city and as deputy mayor and chair of the, the protection, property, and public works committees uh, for City Hall. And uh, I believe you were uh, instrumental uh, in in sort of developing Winnipeg's uh, Aboriginal youth strategy for uh, first of its kind in Canada. That's right. I was first elected in the, in Winnipeg in 1995, uh, a long time ago, <laughs> and uh, I was uh, re-elected five times in uh, in uh, as a city councillor. Uh, I ran for mayor in 2004. Uh, unfortunately, I came in second, so I was out of politics for a few years, and uh, was instrumental in, uh, in in helping to create the Aboriginal youth strategy of the city of Winnipeg at the time, something that's still ongoing today, actually, and uh, very proud of it. And <clears throat> Winnipeg is, uh, I like to say, is uh, the Indigenous capital of Canada. We have uh, our fastest growing population, our young Indigenous people, and that brings a, uh, a great number of challenges, but also a great number of opportunities. So it's important that uh, municipal governments and all levels of government uh, be involved to make sure that those uh, those opportunities are maximized and the challenges minimized. It's interesting. Uh, I notice uh, looking over, you know, some of the things you've been involved with over the years uh, is tied directly to Indigenous people. You also worked as a social worker, I see, for the Mamawiwichi Ita Center in, in Winnipeg. That's right. That's right. I worked a couple of times at the Mamawe Center. I just say Mamawe because it's shorter. Yeah, and it's easier. <laughs> the first time I was a youth worker, just working with uh, with uh, children that and, and youth that were involved in the child welfare system. And the second time, I uh, I did home studies to license um, uh, foster homes. That was after I, I graduated with a social work degree. Mm. It was... Uh, Mamawi is a, a fantastic place uh, to work at. They're, they're an incredible resource in the downtown of the city of Winnipeg. Uh, it's been a while since I've worked there, so they've since evolved in a whole bunch of other directions. But uh, it's the sort of uh, center that cities need more of, 
a place that helps families and young people and, uh, and, and provides support to those families in times of need. How do you think, though, that previous experience that you've had both at the city and working with, uh, you know, Indigenous youth and, and at the, as a social worker, how do you think that shaped uh, the, the position you find yourself in, in now as the Minister of Northern Affairs? I think it uh, helped shape uh, my uh, my uh, political career and really my life in a in a tremendously positive way. Uh, first of all, issues uh, issues of racism and poverty and uh, and addictions are are really uh, endemic in uh, in, uh, in the lives of Indigenous people, and uh, I real made me realize that. Sure, there's a role for everybody. There's certainly a role for municipal governments. But to have a real impact, uh, to have the, the best impact you could possibly have, uh, you would have to try to affect that change at a at a another level of government where the issues are bigger, the, the responsibilities are clearer, uh, the amount of resources and money that you could uh, allocate to try to address a problem such as poverty or housing uh, are, are greater. And uh, it's really, you know, I got into politics, first of all, to make a difference in the lives of people. And there's, uh, there's, there are, unfortunately, too many people living uh, in uh, substandard housing and poverty and child welfare systems that, uh, that, that uh, we are trying to... Uh, partner with them to, to, to get out of those situations, and, and you, you're better placed to do that at a, at a federal government than a municipal government. Mm. Okay. Uh, the other thing I noticed is that you seem to uh, have a bit of a connection with us here, and I'm not sure if you know of that relationship, but I see you served as uh, a chair for the board of directors at, at the Aboriginal People's Television Network, which you may know uh, we right. are associated with here at Element FM. Uh, okay, I was not clear on that. Uh, I chaired the, the committee or the board for about three years, and uh, I, I left about uh, five years ago, mm-hmm. and I think that's when APTN was getting into radio. Right. And I haven't, I haven't followed the, uh, the issue that closely since then, so I, was, uh, I thought maybe there was a connection, but I was not sure. Well, uh, yeah, yeah, it is. It is wonderful. Um, now, uh, go- moving on a little bit to uh, something I think you said about Winnipeg uh, and uh, your association with the city. I've always thought of Winnipeg uh, not so much as Western, but Central. It's uh, you know, it's it's in the heart of of Canada. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's referred to as Western, and I'm wondering what, how do you see it yourself? Good question. Uh, we're definitely not British Columbia. Uh, we're definitely not Alberta, which which are of the West. Saskatchewan is certainly West. Mm. I've always thought of uh, of Winnipeg as a Midwestern area region, and uh, that's how I grew up playing sports. I mean, I spent a lot of time in North Dakota, in Minnesota, in Southdale, uh, not Southdale, South Dakota, mm. and those are seen as Midwestern states, and we are immediately above North Dakota. And, uh, you know, I always saw Winnipeg as the center of Canada, Midwestern. But obviously, if you're living in Ottawa, if you're living in uh, Quebec, uh, it's West. Mm. But it's not uh, it's not really West. I mean, British Columbia and Alberta are West. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, of course, uh, uh, Yukon is West. But 
you're right. Winnipeg is Midwestern, and uh, there, there is some differences. So my next question is also somewhat geographic in terms of being Minister of Northern Affairs. So my question to mm-hmm. you right off the top with that is, is what does North mean in terms of Canada and geographically? Where does, the, where does it start? Where does it stop for you? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, another good question. Uh, I think it depends on the issue we're talking about. I mean, if you're from the North, you don't see... You see yourself as from the north, of course, and you don't necessarily see the northern tip of provinces as being really from the north. And uh, I think it depends on 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 the issue. Uh, people from the Arctic, I think, are very proud of the fact they're from the Arctic, and mm-hmm. they're they're not necessarily from the north. They are from the north, but they're from the Arctic. Mm-hmm. And I think that's uh, I've sensed an important distinction. If you're from the Arctic, you prefer to be called from the Arctic and not the north. Yeah. So, um, for most of my mandate responsibilities, but not all, for most of my mandate responsibilities, it's uh, north of 60, Mm. uh, the three territories, and of course the Arctic, Uh, but many, uh, uh, many issues uh, that that I I face, of course, involve northern provinces. Labrador, of course, is very important. I met with uh, some... uh, um, Inuit leaders there last week, actually, that are from uh, Nain and from Labrador, which is uh, which is not uh, it's in it's uh, south of sixty, I believe, and of course Churchill in, in Manitoba, uh, which is incredibly important to the province and to Canada, and there's some important issues that face Churchill in northern Manitoba that I have to uh, I'm, I intend to address as part of my uh, mandate, and I'm working closely with the people from there, so. I think it, it really depends, and I, I try not to get hung up on that issue too much, but uh, I'm respectful of where I go and, uh, and what, how people describe uh, where they come from. Mm. Uh, the name itself, Northern Affairs, uh, is, is somewhat sounds um, uh, siloing to some degree. Would you, would you agree that, it's, that, that you're somewhat separated, or, or how do you see yourself working with other departments and other, other ministers? Yeah, well, the the name itself and my my mandate is unique in that I, I believe I'm one of the only ministries that addresses a region and not a subject. Mm. Uh, a lot of the other ministries, you're minister of the of transportation, you're minister of environment, you're minister of uh, industry, where it's more of a subject matter. But I'm minister of a region of a of a vast vast region, mm. the north. So my focus is really to lead our government's work in the north. So that we can create uh, better economic opportunities and a better quality of life for the people that live in the north, uh, including uh, parts of northern provinces. So, uh, you know, my my first that's really my mandate, and uh, I believe in working together with uh, with the government leaders. I've already met uh, all three premiers of the territories. I've met with Nathan Obed and many other uh, Inuit leaders. And, uh, and as well as organizations and municipalities and uh, First Nation leaders. So I think the first thing, my first priority was to actually get up there and to meet the people that live there and really listen to their concerns and listen to their priorities and try to reflect that uh, at the cabinet table. Of course, uh, I, I do have a mandate letter, but... Uh, uh, a lot of the things I'm hearing are, are not necessarily following in the, falling in the mandate letter. So 
it's important for me to bring those issues to the cabinet table. And we already know that the issues are so important and so vast that we need a whole-of-government approach to really try to solve those issues. And that's what I'm focusing on is uh, meeting people, reflecting their concerns, and trying to act on their priorities from a whole-of-government approach. Uh, well, that's interesting. Uh, so I was going to ask you about your trip to the north and how that went, and, and you've somewhat answered that. But when you have a mandate letter, and there are certain things that you are you are asked to follow in there, I had to look over it uh, and to look at. But when you now say there are some things that you've found that don't fall within that mandate, how do you how do you then go about trying to in- incorporate them? Yeah, yeah, I. Uh well, I do it by, you know, we have weekly cabinet meetings when I'm in Ottawa. And I'll give you, I'll give you a very uh, real example. Almost everywhere I've gone thus far in the north uh, has indicated that housing is a priority mm. for the north. And uh, that's, not clear, that's not in my mandate letter. Mm. However, we do know that we do have, we've just unrolled, you know, uh, uh, a, a very comprehensive national housing strategy that's with uh, Minister Ahmed Hussein of Children, Families, and, and uh, Youth, I believe. Uh, the housing program, the dollars are in his, uh, his uh, portfolio, his mandate, as well as we have some housing dollars with Indigenous Services, which is uh, Minister Mark Miller. I've already spoken to both of them about what I'm hearing and the importance of uh, delivering doing a better job of making sure the dollars actually get to the north. Because right now, there's, uh, they haven't flowed as quickly as they should. Uh, so I'm working, I, I mentioned the whole-of-government approach. I'm working with, uh, uh, with, uh, with other ministers to try to unlock some of those resources and some of that funding to make sure it gets there quicker and more effectively. I'm also working very closely with... Uh, with uh, MP Mike McLeod from Northwest Territories, uh, Larry Bagnell from uh, Yukon, uh, as well as the new MP from Nunavut for the NDP. So, uh, you know, it's it's all about collaboration and trying to work together to uh, to make a change. When you describe the how your 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 job as Minister of Northern Affairs affects a, an area rather than a specific, uh, 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 you know, transportation or something of that nature, uh, it, it sort of gave me this, this idea that that in itself uh, sounds somewhat more challenging than perhaps if you were just given one mandate to look at. And you have to, do, you have to deal with not only regions, but as you said, you, you also have to deal with people uh, in, in different uh, cabinet roles and yeah. different ministries, such as Minister Bennett, and you, you mentioned uh, Minister Miller. Um, but you also have to deal with, uh, with, with people uh, in, other, in the other parties, uh, especially in the West there, and I'm guessing in the North, where uh, you, know, you may not have that representation as well. And uh, it's finding, That's I right. guess, a way to, to, to make sure that, that these things are still addressed. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I've always, there's, there's a, if you read my mandate letter, there's also a, a, a paragraph in there where the Prime Minister leaves his door wide open for further discussion, further consultations uh, uh, when I need it. And uh, I haven't taken an off on, taking him up on that yet. But I think at one point, uh, uh, again, I mentioned the uh, the cabinet meetings. Uh, I think uh, when when it's necessary, I will get uh, collaboration and direction from uh, other ministers and the prime minister. 
I mean, uh, the, uh, the the other thing we have to remember is that uh, we're in early days. I mean, I was appointed a little bit over two months ago. <laughs> yes. So we're definitely in the early days, and, and uh, <clears throat> the first phase is trying to meet as many people as I can, and then, uh, you know, putting the plan together and then acting on the plan. Uh, the budget's going to be released uh, probably in March, and that's an important document. And uh, so there's there's a possibility. I'm not saying it will, but there's a possibility that the, the mandate could evolve in the uh, months and the years to come to make it more effective once we realize that uh, this is not working so well or this could work better this way. So, you know, it's incumbent on me to keep talking to the prime minister and to the other ministers. Yeah, speaking of that, you know, as I look through your 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 letter, um, and I see some of the other names that you're given, uh, you know, the, you're asked to cooperate and work with, and and uh, 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 you know, the Minister of Crown Indigenous Relations, of course, uh, in Northern Policy uh, Framework with the Minister of Foreign Affairs and other ministers, the government of Nunavut, Nunavut Tungavik Incorporated, mm-hmm. <laughs> Minister of Indigenous, and the list goes on and on because of what you were just saying about uh, how your 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 uh, your your ministry covers this area, uh, and as you say, you're in the early days. So, um, what has come to you at this point in time uh, of the early days in terms of trying to uh, you plan out uh, and set for for the the coming term? Well, as I as I stated, uh, what's come to me is that uh, um, the issue that that seems to to uh, to really resonate with everybody that's an issue of priority, whether it's Yukon or Northwest Territories or Nunavut, is housing, the issue of housing. Uh, and and the other, so that, that comes up regularly, and I've already uh, spoken to other ministers about that. The other context, the underlying context, I think, is climate change. Mm. Because climate change affects everything from, you know, melting permafrost affects the house, the foundation of the houses that are there. It affects the highways. It affects... Uh, uh, you know, uh, commercial buildings as they begin to uh, to shift a little bit. Uh, it affects the sea levels, uh, which affects the uh, you know uh, stability of, uh, of riverbanks and uh, and other waterways. It affects uh, traditional cultural uh, uh, um, hunting grounds and, and fishing areas. So the underlying context is climate change. We do know scientists have known for a while now that. Climate change is uh, is affecting the north about three times faster than the rest of Canada, and uh, that's something that's very real, and that's something that uh, uh, the leadership and the grassroots there are very concerned with, and so are we. So we're looking to to really partner with uh, with the leadership and the people who live there to bring uh, to bring initiatives forward that uh, that are uh, that are greener for the for the climate and for the environment. You're listening to Element FM in Ottawa and Toronto. That's 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto. My guest on the line from Winnipeg is uh, Liberal MP and Minister of Northern Affairs, Dan Vandell. It's a pleasure to have him on the line. And uh, we're speaking about his uh, the new role as uh, uh, Minister of Northern Affairs. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, housing seems to be very important for people of the North, uh, and rightfully so, as well as, as climate uh, a change uh, that uh, we see ourselves in, uh, and uh, the climate crisis, if we, we want to take that maybe a little further. I remember when I was actually working with uh, APTN years ago, uh, they sent me to the north, and I was in, uh, I was in uh, Akviet, 
and uh, they took me out on the land a little bit, and they showed me a a, a, a large uh, pond or, or a small lake, if you'd like to see it, and uh, they said, this is where we used to go uh, swimming and we used to fish, uh, but nobody goes there anymore. And I said, why is that? And they said, because it's dead. And they said, you know, all that pollution that you guys create in the south, it comes goes up into the stratosphere and it comes down on us up here. Uh, that was very, very uh, interesting to hear. Uh, you know, we don't think about how mm-hmm. what we do uh, would affect the north. We think of them uh, as, as having, uh, you know, being separate as so far away, but that's not the case. Absolutely. Uh, did you say you, you were in Arvia? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's where I'm going to be Wednesday and Thursday. Actually, oh. I'm looking forward to that. Great, yeah. I'm meeting uh, I'm meeting the Premier of Nunavut, who's uh, from Arviat, uh over there, and uh, he's promised to uh, to cook up some caribou for us. So I'm looking forward <laughs> to it. Right. Yes. Yeah. That's. Uh, I remember those that from the, that day as well from being up there. Um, so, um, now the other thing is, I guess, nutrition. Uh, we know that there's a plan for Nutrition North. Um, what, what would you say about how you're, you're planning to uh, implement that, or, or are there changes, perhaps, that, that might be coming for that? Yeah, Nutrition North and uh, food security in the North is, uh, is incredibly important. Uh, we, uh, we are always looking to, uh, to make the programs more effective. I've always... I always come into a challenge or to a portfolio with the uh, with the mindset that there's there's always room for improvement. Uh, anyone says that this is as good as it gets is really not uh, uh, doesn't have an open mind. So uh, I do know Nutrition North has uh, has uh, made a difference. Uh, is, is there room for improvement? Absolutely. I know that. Uh, Nutrition North has lowered the cost of the food basket since uh, 2011 in the North. Uh, we've recently introduced the Harvester Support Grant um, a couple of months ago, and, and that those dollars will be flowing very soon to help uh, people that, uh, uh, that, that want to uh, eat more traditional food, more country food. The Harvester Support Grant is for that. I think that's a positive development. And um, it's it's really a priority for for us. We know that good nutrition is is as important as it gets. If if you're young and if you're not uh, eating uh, the way you should be, then that affects every other aspect of your life, including your ability to learn. So we're looking to work with the community. Uh, we're looking to uh, really listen to how we could make it even uh, more uh, more relevant and make it better for the people that live there. And I'm going up there with an open mind to try to make improvements where we can. The other thing I see in your letter that you, you're, um, you're being asked to work with the Minister of Finance to increase the northern residents' deduction for travel costs and um, and also to try and make sure that that money gets into the hands of those uh, for the travelers rather than the, uh, the, the transportation providers. Absolutely. Uh, our government... Uh, we've directed the Competition Bureau to uh, oversee the pricing of transportation in, in the north and to ensure that uh, northerners in all parts of the north get the help uh, they need to make their lives more affordable. More affordable. We're, we are, uh, we've really put a focus on affordability for all of Canada. We've recently uh, uh, introduced a tax cut for, uh, for all Canadians. 
and we know that's even more important if you live in the north because it's 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 more uh, it's more expensive to live in the north, and we want to try to address that. Uh, Nutrition North is trying to address the cost of food. Uh, we're committed to uh, improving the northern resident deduction, uh, which will provide families living in the north with uh, an increased deduction for travel costs. I am working with the Minister of Finance. I'm working with uh, the Minister of Canada Revenue uh, uh, um, to try to implement those changes, and uh, we hope to have some tangible results in a few months. Well, it would be nice, I think, uh, for all Canadians to uh, to have a more to uh, more, make it more affordable to be able to travel uh, uh, right across the country, including the north. Uh, as it is, uh, we all uh, know it's expensive to travel the country, uh, even though it's a, a beautiful country to visit anywhere you go. Um, the minister, we're running uh, close to the end of our time. I want to ask you one one last question, and that is uh, briefly uh, just about um, finalizing the northern abandoned mine reclamation uh, reclaim program. Um, I know that, that that's something that needs to be uh, looked at, uh, not only in the north, but elsewhere. Yeah, it's something that's uh, a priority for us. Uh, we want to, uh, we want to uh, clean up some of the mines that are, that are left uh, from uh, generations past. Uh, we want to make sure that uh, those cleanups are done in, in an environmentally sound way. Uh, we want to make sure that when there's employment to be had, uh, that those jobs uh, will go to, uh, to people that live in the north, that live in the Arctic, the indigenous peoples. And uh, we've invested uh, $2.2 billion over the next 15 years in the abandoned mine reclamation program uh, to uh, clean up eight of the largest abandoned mines. So our, we put our money forward, we put our money where our, mar- our mouth is, and we want to... Uh, continue doing good work there uh, with the people that are most most affected. Mm. Uh, sounds like a, a plan, and it looks like we're going to have to leave it there for now, but it's been a pleasure speaking with you, and we really appreciate you taking the time to join us on, on the line. Great speaking to you, and uh, all the best. And we look forward to perhaps uh, touching base with you once you've had a chance to get your uh, your feet wet a little further into the position. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you very much. And that is uh, Liberal MP Dan Vandell. He is the Minister of Northern Affairs, and he was speaking to us from Winnipeg. And he he, uh, just uh, took over that position a couple of months ago. Uh, It was a pleasure to have him on the line. We're going to move on right here on Element FM and Moment of Truth, but we will be back. So don't go away right after this, and we're going to have more right here on Moment of Truth and Element FM. And welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Ottawa and Toronto. That's 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, and also on the Radio Player Canada app. Uh, Just download the app and type in 95.7 ELMNT-FM or 106.5 ELMNT-FM and uh, follow the directions, and you could be listening on your device of choice anywhere across the country, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'd like to welcome uh, our, our next guests to the show, and they uh, are calling in. No, I'm not exactly sure where they're calling in from, but they are on the line. I'm, I'm going to say maybe Manitoba? Ottawa. Ah. <laughs> okay. Well, pleasure to have you both here. Uh, we're speaking with Melanie 
Amenio, um, and she is the president of the Women of the Métis Nation, as well as Tansen Fitzgerald, and she is a senior policy analyst with the Women of the Métis Nation. Now, that's an organization that is uh, has uh, uh, a base in British Columbia, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Alberta, and Ontario. Ladies, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having us. It, it's a pleasure. And what a, uh, what a great organization, I think, that you guys uh, are doing. You have this new, uh, this new campaign, She is Indigenous. We're going to get to that. But before we get there, uh, if you don't mind, uh, Melanie, if you don't mind uh, just telling us a little bit about yourself. Uh, how long have you been the president of the Women of the Métis Nation? Um, I was uh, initially elected on October 2010. This is my fourth term. Um, and uh, we work hard to, and we are recognized as the national spokesperson for Métis women uh, within the Métis homeland. And I am proud to be here and proud to be a part of a very new, innovative and growing organization. Yes, and congratulations to you. A Tanzan, a senior policy analyst. Um, how how long have you been uh, working with the women of Métis Nation? Oh, I've been here just uh, just under a year now, so I'm still still getting my feet wet. Right. Okay. Um, so now let's talk a little bit about. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about the organization first before we get into this uh, this great campaign? That she is Indigenous. Uh, can you guys share a little bit about uh, the women of the Métis Nation? Sure. Uh, Women of the Métis Nation uh, has a wide perspective of things that they work on. We've been engaged and involved in the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women uh, process and framework. Uh, We've also been engaged and involved in many other issues relating to priorities for Métis women, whether it's around Métis women's health or uh, ongoing justice issues. We've been related and we've been doing programming and and working on engagement with uh, Métis women around things like housing or early childhood learning. Uh, We have uh, a lot of work that we do on gender-based, you know, spectrums and lenses and the intersectionality around some of those things. And uh, we also work on the areas of gender-based violence. Mm. Okay. Now, I see, um, I went to the website, I had a look at it and uh, looked through it a little bit. Uh, just to read the vision of the organization is to be an organization of strong Métis women who are the voice of women in the Métis Nation with a significant role in enhancing the socioeconomic and cultural well-being of all Métis people. Now, that, of course, does tie in with uh, the two of those things that you just spoke about, uh, the missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and also the housing issue. Um but it also speaks to uh, this new campaign of She is Indigenous that, uh, that, that you guys have launched as well. That's very true. So why don't we talk a little bit about uh, She is Indigenous. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how that, uh, how that came about? We have uh, been working for many years now with uh, various partners and stakeholders on uh, trying to change the uh, the lens on violence with Indigenous women. And so uh, one of the things that came out early, even prior to the inquiry, was that we needed to create a campaign or an awareness 
process that was going to help show Indigenous women in a different light and that we weren't a part of a disposable society Mm. and that we were contributing parts of our community. And so uh, I know that the government of Ontario originally started by uh, trying to create an awareness campaign that would help us do that. But when they had focus tested it, it didn't, it it wasn't very successful. So uh, they asked us if we would be willing to work with our First Nations and Inuit partners to try to create a campaign that was going to uh, work for and to help change how Indigenous women were viewed. So that was how we started. And, uh, uh, we wanted to do a strength-based campaign that was going to demonstrate the, the amazing contributions and gifts of Indigenous women and that they weren't all uh, downtrodden people that who deserved to be part of the missing and murdered Indigenous women lens. Yeah, and if you go to the, your, your, of course, if you go to the website and also if you uh, type in uh, She is Indigenous and bring up the, web, uh, the website associated with that, you certainly get a, uh, an indication of that with the way that has been set up. Um, you know, because it's not, uh, although it's called She is Indigenous, uh, you take that and run with it in terms of she is tenacious she is creative she is trailblazing nurturing etc cetera, etc cetera. and 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 i guess you have stories that link to all these things to show and back up uh these areas and i, I see a couple of people that i recognize that we've had on the show uh, on that list as well which is wonderful oh nice i'm glad to hear that uh we also highlight uh we we get a list of pe- people contact us and try to have us highlight new people all the time so we also work on Instagram, Twitter, and uh, other forms of media, social media like Facebook to continuously bring forward amazing Indigenous women who play significant roles in our society today. Do you think that now, you know, from, when, from your website and from the, the She is Indigenous uh, website, uh, you go there and, and of course, you, you have listed, uh, you know, some people that are, that are fairly well known, of course, like uh, filmmaker Annalisa Bonswin, um, Wani Corn Miller, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, Pam Palmiter exa- as an example as well. Um, but I'm wondering, do you still think these, these names are relatively unknown to the greater Canadian uh, population? I do. Uh, even some of the most renowned ones that you've just mentioned often aren't uh, seen as some of the Indigenous women community uh, in perspective of trying to change the whole uh, narrative around the violence against Indigenous women. And we think that it's really important. I mean, when we started out with this campaign, one of the things that we told the uh, media group that that took on our contract, we told them that we wanted to make sure that people realized that very often these Indigenous women that they portray in the media as as victims of violence are are women who are teachers and mothers and, and, uh, you know, they're your cashier at the local grocery store. They're people that are working hard and want to be a part of society. They don't want to be seen as victims of the community. Right. 
And and of course that is something that needs to be told. You know, we've we've had the the pleasure and honor of of um, interviewing some authors uh, associated with books that have been written in terms of issues around missing and murdered Indigenous women uh, and those kind of things. And uh, one particular book, uh, you know, dealt, it, it dove into the stories of the of the individual people um, that uh, and, and their stories and showed. Uh, you know the the hu- the human people behind the story, uh, their their lives, their families, uh, what they did, what their hopes were, uh, what they were aspiring to be, and it, and it did flesh out that whole uh, element of exactly what I think you guys are trying to do here as well. I believe that's true. Uh, Atanzin, if you don't mind me asking, as a senior policy analyst, how what is your role in all of this? Well, we're, we're quite a lean team here at Laysa Midship, and so I, I work on a number of files here. So not only do I, I look at a, num- a range of policy files, specifically gender-based violence and, and gender-based analysis, but I'm also, in this capacity, taking on more of a comms role. So what that looks like is that monitoring all of our social media. Um, it's, it's liaising with a number of media organizations, such as yourself, which is always a pleasure. Um, and then it's also... Uh, navigating the numerous requests that are sent our way on a daily basis in terms of nominations because, of course, as we all know, there's there's no end to the contributions of uh, Indigenous women across the country. So um, my, my day is quite focused on this campaign, especially because it has been receiving, thankfully, so much attention lately. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of my role here. So, having said that, I noticed that um, it, it says on the on on the website that uh, either every day or every other day a new person is is put up there to feature. Uh, that alone is, I guess, some work involved with that. But it's so wonderful to know that there's this en- endless uh, number of of women that you can turn to to find and use as an example. Absolutely, and I'm always kind of heartbroken to tell these people when they nominate, you know, these women that, you know, we'll, we'll post this in a month or so is when you'll <laughs> see it, because there's, there's so many women that we have in our queue that we're, we're just happy to share with uh, the rest of the world. <laughs> so since you guys started this campaign, what, what, has, what, what has surprised you, if I can use that word, if, for lack of a better word, in terms of what you have learned since, since starting this? Uh, I'm going to let Townsend answer part of that. We actually have a report on uh, how effective the campaign is has been and uh, how much traction it gets. And we've seen our campaign and seen signs of our campaign being supported by uh, some of the provincial and territorial governments as well as the federal government. Uh, I know that we've had it hosted at... Uh, several important large-scale meetings with uh, provincial and territorial and federal government people, and we're continuing to see signs of it. The target group that we were trying to raise awareness with were actually the male population between 18 and 49, and there were lots of times throughout this campaign that there were signs indicating that we were reaching that target group. Uh, first off, when we focus-tested focus tested it, and even since then, uh, we've had people retweeting uh, some of our pictures and the women that we've highlighted during the campaign. And Townsend can talk more about the 
overall reporting that we watch on the uh, online stuff. Great. Yeah, so um, we, yeah, I'm always surprised by just uh, each day, you know, the new followers that come in. But it, particular surprises have certainly been, um, I mean, politics aside, the Premier of Alberta uh, shared a bit of our campaign, which was really wonderful to see. And, um, you know, as with every social media campaign, there's always the risk of negative attention or negative comments. And I've been um, really happy and, and quite surprised keeping that in mind that we haven't had any negative backlash on this. You know, there's no ugly comments. It's all positive and love in the comments and, and especially with the sharing. So that's been a really, really wonderful surprise as well. Now, what about the uh, the people that you've been featuring in terms of, the, you know, they're, they're, of course, getting some attention from this as well. Are you getting any, any comments back from them about uh, being involved with this and what kind of things they're hearing? Yeah, absolutely. So typically um, with the uh, names that are kind of more well-known, we will post them. And I've, I've seen, you know, Pam Palmater has commented on it and shared the, the campaign, which is wonderful. But when it comes to um, the everyday women that we share, we always get their, their consent and their approval so that they know that they're being shared specifically um, as far as privacy goes. Um, and every time they see it, because, you know, they're not sure what date it's going to come out. So the date that it is posted is always a surprise. We've seen comments like, what an honor, what a wonderful thing to wake up to. It's, they're really happy to... Um, to see their name, and, and I think there's a, a, a lot to be said in terms of the empowerment that these women see um, when they see themselves in the campaign, when they see their sisters or their friends or or, or anyone else, you know. Yeah, nice uh, empowerment. Nice, uh, nice to uh, to hear that, and and something that just feels appropriate and uh, about time. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so this is wonderful. I want to come back to your uh, your website for a moment uh, in terms of the women of the Métis Nation, and uh, just address the 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 mission. It says, to ensure that Métis women from across the homeland are safe, connected, empowered, and have the capacity to work with other Canadian and Métis organizations to help create, create the conditions for healthy, vibrant, and productive communities throughout the Métis Nation. Uh, which only makes sense and uh, something that should be strived for and something that we should have, we should have had and, and women should have had some time ago. But it's great to see this is, this is happening. And I think this campaign... Uh, and we certainly wish you all the best with it as it goes forward. Uh, but I can I can well imagine that uh, if you keep uh, if you keep adding the, these uh, these women, uh, you know, every day, every second day or so, you're going to have quite a list of people uh, and uh, to to uh, have a roster of people that are going to be listed there. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering is if is there offshoots from that? And I guess what I mean by it, by that is, for instance, uh, some of these people could be, you know, they could be inspirational speakers. They could be people that could go out and help inspire. Are you are you seeing that kind of request coming through for for uh, expanding it to to go to uh, live events or something? I do believe that uh, the women that we've highlighted and posted on the campaign, many of them have had opportunities, and there have been people that have reached out to them. One of the issues, though, that I do want to say at this point is that when we're actually doing the campaign, we generally only use first names. So most people, we're aware of when people are trying to get a hold of individuals because they come to us uh, looking for contact for the individuals that have been highlighted because uh, for the safety of women, we're trying to only encourage first name use within the campaign. Okay. So uh, we do, we are aware, and I want to 
uh, actually highlight. In the Inuit community in itself, many of the Inuit women don't have as much prominence within uh, the lens of media in, in within the context of Canada because they're more up north. And many of those women have been highlighted in our campaign and, and have been had many opportunities come their way since the launching of them within the campaign. So we know that it is effectively uh, shown not only just within our communities, but within the general makeup of, uh, the, of Canada, it's put people into more prominent areas where people realize that these women have had a very prominent role to play in many of the things that they do. Mm. And, uh, and Hanson here, I can, I can speak specifically to that as well. Um, I've had a number of people comment wanting, as Melanie mentioned, to learn more. I've also had... Um, media outlets reach out to us specifically in terms of, you know, getting to know about these women. And, of course, I always direct them there uh, to the women uh, directly. An example that I can think of, all of these women are my favorites. But one of my favorites is um, a young girl. She's eight years old, and she runs a business called Cookum's Scrunchies. And we've just seen, because we do try to highlight these these wonderful entrepreneurs, we, we have noticed that. Um, it, it does uh, it does increase traffic to their websites and their their organizations and their ventures, which we're really happy about. And so, um, Cookum Scrunchies, I'm always happy to to put in a plug for that because it's a wonderful wonderful business run by a just an eight year old girl here in the Algonquin area. <laughs> I love the name. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's great. I'm just going to jump in here for a moment and mention to everyone that you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in uh, in Ottawa and uh, of course uh, as I mentioned you can listen on the Radio Player Canada app just download the app and type in 106.5 ELMNT-FM or 95.7 ELMNT-FM my guests on the line from Ottawa are the uh, is the president of the Women of the Métis Nation Melanie Amenio as well as the senior policy analyst Tanzin Fitzgerald they've been kind enough to join us on the line and talk about uh, the organization, as well as this wonderful campaign called She is Indigenous, uh, where they bring uh, attention to uh, women uh, in different uh, lines of, of work, entrepreneurs, as you may have just heard uh, about this young lady with uh, Crunchies. I love the name. I uh, got to check that out. And um, and just highlight these, these women that are doing wonderful things to show that uh, indigenous women are tenacious and creative and trailblazing and nurturing and inspiring and wise and strong and compassionate and creative and kind and all of those things that we know, but they're trying to get that message out uh, beyond that. And they have some wonderful, wonderful examples of uh, people to choose from. So it's great to hear that that you guys are doing that. Now, the other thing that I heard you mention, and I was, I was happy to hear this, you said that you're targeting males, and uh, and I believe that's crucial. And it's wonderful to hear. Uh, can you tell me about why you decided to to include that? Well, one of the things that we came to realize when we were working on uh, trying to create narratives for ending violence against Indigenous women is that we recognize that it's very often a gender-based violence process. And... So I, we wanted to make sure that uh, men understood that uh, women were a, an important part of their community and their society and that, you know, their mothers and their daughters and their 
for people that are working for them and, and making them and empowering them and their communities to be better. And so we wanted to make sure that men, uh, because it generally is violence of men with women, we wanted to make sure that we were reaching a target audience that would help change how the attitude was for some men with uh, against women. And even within the court justice system, uh, we've been a part of uh, interveners on trials and uh, been supportive of families who've been victims of, of uh, violence and things like murder. And when you go to those courtrooms, the narrative often is that these are not uh, Indigenous women or that they're not women. They, they've often referred to them as native or they refer to them as prostitutes or drug addicts mm -hmm. or they have the scriptures that take away their identity. And we're trying to bring back that identity so that uh, all people in our communities understand the importance of, of us taking away those people out of our society and how that changes us and even desensitizes us to many of these issues. Yeah, that's uh, that. Of course, is uh, I guess part of the game in in the courts, isn't it? Uh, in terms of uh, when you have uh, prosecutors and an offending attorney, uh, uh, people that are defending, uh, they try to do the best for their client, and part of that is is I guess trying to make uh, the other side look um, poor in the eyes of either the the judge or or the jury. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and not necessarily accurately. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, um, what 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 are you hoping to do as you look forward and down the down the road to this with this uh, uh, the campaign? Well, we're going to try to increase the visibility of the campaign. Uh, the campaign has taken on a life of its own, for sure. It has, but. Uh, we want to continue to increase uh, that visibility, and we want to empower women who are, are, are being highlighted within the campaign. But we also want to continue to work on some of the issues around root causes, and we're working with the federal government and the provincial and territorial governments to help build a framework uh, in response to the uh, inquiry report. And this was one of the recommendations in the midterm report of the inquiry, was to create a national campaign like we've done. We've worked with both of our Inuit and First Nations uh, uh, families and, uh, and made sure that they're all involved and engaged. So Pectuitit and NWAC and uh, Assembly of First Nations, along with the National Association of Friendship Centers, and the Congress of Aboriginal People have all been a part of us helping us develop this campaign. And we're going to continue to move along those lines so that all Indigenous women can feel proud and safe within their communities. Mm. You know, uh, I guess the, the other, the other or, or the reason we're talking about this is because for, for many Indigenous women in the stories we hear, it's about the struggle. It's about the things that... Uh, their victimization and those kind of things. But with this campaign, uh, she is indigenous. You're trying to show the joy, the strength, and, and of course the intelligence that, uh, that, that indigenous women bring as well. Absolutely. 
You know, the other thing I think that is very cool about this this is that you have a song associated with the project that... Uh, right? <laughs> Summer Sage and Laura yeah. Langstaff uh, and Melissa Hill have, have recorded this song, which is on the, the website. People can go there and listen to it. Um, and uh, it's wonderful. Uh, it's You Are the Fire, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Laura wrote the song specifically for this campaign, and uh, she's an amazing Métis performer, and uh, along with her sister, Melissa Hall. So I'm very proud to have them on this campaign. And uh, they have beautiful voices that harmonize nicely in the song. Uh, we're going to play a little bit of that as well, so people can get a little bit of a sense of that. Amazing. Thank you. That's, that's a great idea. Before we go, we're almost out of time. Uh, just wondering if there's anything we haven't touched on that you guys feel is important to mention. I would just say we, we do have some big plans for this campaign coming forward in the coming months. So mm-hmm. stay tuned and uh, be excited. Okay. And, and uh, what is the website people can go and check you guys out at? Sheisindigenous.ca. You go, sheisindigenous.ca. And you will see a list. You can, uh, you can go scroll down. You can see, find out all about the, uh, the organization and the, 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 the uh, She is Indigenous campaign by going there. They have different headings you can click on to find out more. And, of course, you can also go and find out more uh, from the Women of the Métis Nation uh, as well online, uh, which is associated with this. Uh, ladies, it's been a pleasure to have you both on, on the show, and I, we really appreciate you taking the time to do this and, and share this uh, this wonderful, wonderful campaign, and we wish you all the best with it, and we look uh, forward to seeing uh, more of these wonderful uh, women that uh, you can bring forward and, and share with uh, everyone across Canada and, and beyond uh, for uh, all the, the strengths that they bring, uh, they bring to us. Thank you so much for having us. It's, it's been a pleasure speaking with you, and we're always happy to chat about this campaign. Great. Maybe we'll touch base in a few months and see how it's going. Absolutely. We'd love that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you. Have a good one. All right. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. And that is uh, you to the voice of Tanzin Fitzgerald. She's a senior policy analyst with the Women of the Métis Nation, and also Melanie Omanio, and she is the president of the Women of the Métis Nation. They joined us on the line from Ottawa. It was a pleasure to have them join us. So check that out. She is Indigenous. You can find that on the out online, sheisindigenous.ca, and you can learn all about that. That's our show for today. It's been a pleasure having you listening to us here on Moment of Truth and Element FM. I'm your host, David Moses. Until next time, we'll see you then. I also want to say nyawa miigwech wanishi and thank you to everyone who helps put Moment of Truth together. They include in Ottawa, Jill Kennedy and Caroline O'Neill. In Toronto, Andrew Johnson, Luca Capone, Kathy Zaboken, Andrew St. Germain. Nyawa miigwech and thanks for listening.